Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, your host, Brenton Webber. Today, I'll be talking to Anthony McMahon, a friend of mine based here in Auckland. He is known as the IT psychiatrist. His background in corporate IT strategy and architecture is now being applied to smaller companies. Um, We're talking between 20 and 1,000. So Anthony's going to be talking to us about some of the lessons that he's learned on his journey and how he became the IT psychiatrist. We're also going to be talking at length about rugby. Um, Anthony and myself are both big rugby fans, and it's certainly been an interesting year to be a rugby fan. Finally, um, his podcast, Biz Bites, is now into its 27th, 28th episode, probably more by the time this goes um, out. Um, And so he's going to be sharing a few tips on um, a few lessons that he's learnt um, at this early stage of his podcasting career and what those of you who might be thinking about doing your own podcast might be able to learn from him. So here's Anthony. Hello and welcome to... The Halftime Orange Podcast with me, your host, Brenton Weber. Um, today, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to have uh, a, a good friend of mine on the show, um, Anthony McMahon, um, the IT psychiatrist, the man, the legend, the, Anthony. How are you, mate? Oh, good. Thanks, Brendan. I'm, I'm glad you didn't finish that off with a myth like someone else did recently. And um, uh, I had to, to point out that, no, I am real and, and, and not just a myth that's out there. Um, also, Brendan, pointing out the irony of, of we're coming all the way around the world from about five doors away from each other, I think, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's uh, from, from Matte in uh, West Auckland. The, the, the mighty Massey, West is best. Brendan and I are, are very close neighbours as well. So Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely part of Auckland, I think. I guess a very very um, doesn't have a great reputation. Let's be honest. Oh, we keep it that way though. We, we we like to let people think that it's 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 got a bad reputation so that they don't come here uh, yeah. and they stay away. And we can we can live in our community. So that's 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 really what we want to go for. That's good. Well, we're doing very well there. So uh, yeah. Well, although it's a it's a it's a it's a growing neighbourhood. Um, you know, it's part of the urban sprawl for sure. And with with Northwest now growing and uh, the tunnel um, that's made us more accessible to Auckland's other fastest growing suburb, Hamilton. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think it's a a great place to be. So I should probably stop because I'll I'll end up attracting more people to the area. Exactly. We're happy for them to come and spend their money in northwest, but uh, that's about as far as it goes. It's very close to the motorway, so there's no risk of them coming too far in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, before before we carry on, I know you really well, um, but some of the people that will be listening to the show won't. So why don't you give us a bit of an overview of who the man in the legend is, um, the man <laughs> behind the myth? <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um I've got to go right back. So I'm, I'm actually, as, as much as I'm a proud Masseyite now, I'm actually originally from Wellington way back in the day. So um, born and bred in the, the greatest little city in the world called Upper Hutt. Um, and if anyone wants to argue that it's not the greatest city, then, then look, we, we can take that to the bar and um, and talk about it later. But uh, so my background, I've been in the IT industry for 20 years now, um, both as a student and, and professionally as well. Um 
my pathway in that IT industry though is quite different from from what most people would perceive a technology career to be. You know, I don't write code, I don't I don't build hardware. Um, I've been focused on that business support, operational support, and strategic side of technology for for most of the time. Um, and that probably stems from my very first job being on the help desk uh, at, at Bank of New Zealand, one of New Zealand's bigger banks, um, which then put me on towards that customer journey of technology rather than the development delivery journey. Um, so, I mean, technology plays a big part of my life, but it's not just my life. I'm, I'm, I certainly don't sit there and, and, and dream of new new solutions every day. Um, a family man as well, two, two young kids, a five-year-old and a, and a 10-month-old. And if you hear any... Um, wailing in the background it could be it could be my daughter um she's teething at the moment um rugby coach how's she going with that oh she's good she's good we, we just dose her up with pam olin away she goes yeah, um I'm, I'm a big rugby fan big rugby coach as well hurricane supporter wellington Lions supporter and i'm looking forward to this season where um wellington's got all their all blacks playing for the first time in in, in many years and, and hopefully can uh, can pull off um, a very a good number of victories throughout. So I mean, I mean, I don't know what more do you need from there. Well, what IT psychiatrist is who you are um, in in your in your professional life. Um, what led you to start IT psychiatrist? Yeah, it's a good point. So. Um, like I said, I've been in that tech profession for for twenty years, and most of, all of it's been on that operational business side. Uh, and probably about five or six years ago now, I started to realise um, that the role I was in was was a role called enterprise architecture. Um, now, for those listening who aren't familiar with what an enterprise architect does, the, the role of an enterprise architect is to start to think strategically and plan for the future um, and align technology deliverables to business outcomes, strategic business outcomes. So they're sitting there trying to, once the business knows where they're going, the enterprise architects then sitting going, well, how's technology going to enable us? What, what do we need to bring in? How, how do we deliver this? Um, and what I started to realize about five or six years ago was that if you were a big business, so if you were a bank or a telco or an airline or Fonterra, um, then you could afford to have a team of people around you that delivered uh, enterprise architecture um, into the business, um, you could afford to invest in the the recommendations they made. Um, architects make a lot of recommendations, so you're able to afford to invest in those. Um, if you couldn't afford to do it yourself, you could pop on down the road to a Deloitte or a PwC and spend a bit of money with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, most importantly, you could absorb um, the cost of those decisions as well. Uh, but when you came down to the to the next tier in New Zealand, um, which is the the mid sized market. Um, and by that, I'm sort of mean anyone anyone between you know, twenty and a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Those companies would get the exact same value out of having that service, but it's not a service they need full time. They don't need a full time architect on their books. And even if they did, they probably wouldn't understand what it was that that, that role was delivering. So, so that it, it would end up being. Um, Something that they took on board but that wouldn't go, wouldn't deliver the value for them. So, what I took on, what I was starting to explore with the IT psychiatrist, and and this was both through my professional side and academic. I was studying a master's degree at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, was looking at a business model that could help drive that thinking into businesses without being a full time role in their business. So, being a um, a virtual enterprise architect, if you like, and I'm going to stop calling it an EA for a moment. And and the the function I play as a virtual chief technology officer, where we come in. Um, work with the business to to focus on what their strategic outcomes are, so help them identify those, 
and then help them see where technology is actually going to deliver um, and build better business outcomes for them as well. Um, the reason behind the psychiatrist, there's there's two parts to that. There's there's um, the rationale behind why the name came about, and then the mistake I made in naming a business the psychiatrist, IT psychiatrist. Um, so the rationale behind it was. Uh, I was talking with a former colleague of mine, a man, uh, Mike Whitehead. Um, he was about what my business model was. And he said, look, you're going out there, you're going to be an IT doctor. And I was like, ooh, that term's already been taken. Um, there's, there's IT doctors who are companies that deal with break fix and, and getting it right. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm more about the mindset and getting um, leadership mindset in the right place and helping them come about. And, and at the same time, we're both like, kind of like psychiatry. Um, so that was the, the plus. The, 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 the downside is that psychiatrist would have to be one of the hardest words in the English language to spell. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many domains have you, uh, have you covered? <laughs> uh, so I've got two domains um, for the website. I've got, um, I've got the itpsychiatrist.co.nz, and then because I appreciate that psychiatrist is not, doesn't roll off the tongue, um, is, is probably a grade four spelling bee winning word. Um, I've also got VC, vcto.co.nz, so virtual chief technology officer, vcto.co.nz, um, because that, that kind of, it's a snappier soundbite. Yeah, definitely. It probably, for me as well, the, the VCTO or the virtual um, chief technology officer, I can imagine that speaking to some a well-known pain point that a growing business might have. And I was going to say, was, was that part of... What you saw out there, you obviously saw a pain point with a specific segment of the business community, the, the largest segment in New Zealand, really, let's face it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And knew that what you were doing at larger organisations um, would be of value um, to answer those pain points. And so what, what were the pain points? What, what are the pain points that some people may be thinking about now that a virtual CTO would be the ideal answer for? Yeah, uh, good question, and um, it's probably three pain points, and I've taken a while to condense them down into three key words, but um, uh, the pain points that are, that are definitely out there that, that many business leaders, um, decision makers are, are struggling with at the moment um, come down to competence, knowledge, and trust, and, and I'll break that up a bit more. Um, competence is the, the fact that, you know, for, for many people, if, if you're a um, – We'll talk about customer experience here, Brenton. Um, you know, as, as a as a CX expert, you're, you're highly competent at that, and you can you can deliver everything that a business needs um, from a CX perspective. But in terms of the technology that your own business needs to do the job, you know, that's yeah. not your core strength. So yeah. um, it's it's not it's it's when competence comes into it. What I'm saying there is it's it's making sure that people are working with have the have the right skills around them to help drive their business forward. Um, I could turn that around, you know, knowing the technology that drives a business is my competence, but I don't necessarily um, put myself out there as a CX expert. So so that's a big part for it. You know, if, if companies are looking for help with trusted experts and into the technology field, that's one of the things that I bring in. Um, and, and instead of that traditional sales model where uh, someone shows up and says, I have a solution, let's deliver it. Mm. Um my view is more let's figure out what your problems are and if a solution is going to be um, the outcome. Um, the second one there is knowledge. And I think, oh, I know because I've asked plenty of business owners on this, the technology is this broad, horrible beast um, that there's so many solutions out there and there's so many capabilities. And, and for many people, they just don't know what they need um, and they don't know what they don't need as well. No, they don't know what exists either, do they? They don't what, sorry? They don't know what exists out there. They just don't know whether these things even exist. That 
they may have plenty of problems that could be fixed by current technology, but they may not have found that technology as yet. Correct, correct, because they didn't know. You're right; they don't know exactly what's out there, and they don't know how to solve it. So, so knowledge becomes a key part, and that's one of the ones that I, I, I pin myself on. And the people that I work with, I've got a few associates in the business that I work with as well. Mm-hmm. Is we've got that knowledge that we we bring in, um, and then the last one's trust. And and I think for me, trust again comes back to there's so much out there. You, you you may know what you need, but how do you trust that it's the right solution? How do you trust that it's going to be the right outcome? Or how do you trust that 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 supplier you're dealing with is the best fit for you um, because different suppliers have different models, um, different clients have different models, and, and it may not be the best. So those are the three pain points that I've, I've identified in the in the broader industry sector um, that I'm looking to solve is, is bringing in knowledge, competence, and trust uh, in, into business relationships, but doing it on a, um, a fractional role. So it's not a full-time role in your business, but, but actually just working alongside you as your um, strategic partner. We've we've spoken before at length about the siloing between departments and the, the IT thinking, and um, that's still a problem, right? That you 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 must be um, coming up against. Okay, maybe less so at smaller companies because there's less siloing that's been able to develop, and the leaders are, tend to be a lot more closely involved with their business decision making. But um, certainly yeah. at the corporate level, how much of it are you seeing at the level that you're now working at? It's it's two sides to that, I think. You're, you're right. The smaller businesses where there's a single decision maker, um, maybe it's the owner or the chief executive who's responsible to the board, but there's, there's a small um, group of decision influencers and then one maker. Um, siloing doesn't happen so much, but you're certainly right. And the, the big businesses particularly, um, and this is where it gets interesting from a technology perspective because you've got your traditional IT department, uh, but then you've got roles within other business units like HR, finance, um, marketing, particularly digital marketing, um, where there's a huge degree of technology or technological expertise that goes into there. Um, and often everyone sticks away or stays away from each other. The, the IT department don't trust what these guys over here are doing. Um, the, the, that team over there, maybe it's the marketing department, maybe it's the finance department, don't tell the IT department what they're up to. Mm-hmm. And so you get this breakdown, you get this point where um, data particularly is uh, siloed. Um, there's no single source of truth and no single view. So, so it's a big problem in the big organisations. But I think when you step it down to the smaller organisations, and this is something I was I was um, engaging on LinkedIn this morning about actually, in, in the smaller organisations, you run into this problem where everyone thinks they're unique and therefore they create their silos. So, um, you know, uh, companies sit there and say we have our own challenges. We're unique. This is this is the way we do things. You know, we sell shoes. Um, so we're completely different to accountants or, or to. Um, or to McDonald's, for example, um, you actually look at it, the technology challenges those businesses or faces are actually quite similar. They need they need payroll, they need um, they need HR management, they need marketing, they need there's a range of tools they need. Where they differ is the um, product services that they sell and maybe the values they bring to the relationship with the customer as well. Uh, so they've created the silo effect where they look at it and go, the McDonald's IT expert can't help the shoe shop when actually maybe McDonald's IT expert is the best person to help the shoe shop because they um, bring a whole range of expertise in on technology. Yeah, you make a, you make a good point. Um, there's, there's real parallels between customer experience as well. Yep. 
because everybody says, oh, we're a, we're a B2B business or a B2C business. And there's reasons why we don't have to, oh, we're in retail, so uh, we don't need certain aspects of what you're saying. We we know what we sell. We know what we do. We, we live in our own um, siloed world. Um, you've then also got companies that, get that they're part of a, a larger ecosystem um, and they can look around and look at the outcomes that they're helping people provide and who else are doing that and how they can, they can, what they can learn from those, the way that those people engage with their customers. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think, you know, I've talked about this before about some of those companies that have um, a really compelling customer experience. Um you know, put the customer at the heart of everything and then, then contrast that with um, companies often in the same sector who just haven't even thought about the customer experience. Yeah, they don't see themselves as, they're all human-to-human businesses. They're all human. Unless it's AI selling to AI, it's still really a human-to-human business and it's still got the same fundamentals. And technology is so important for connecting those fundamentals together. And, and being able to del- deliver on those fundamentals. Absolutely. Um, what what do you what do you miss the least about working with those big corporates from a uh, from a you know from from a productivity perspective from a, what what you're doing. Here? Yeah, what, what do I miss the least? I think decision paralysis is probably the, the one that um, I, I don't miss. And that's the, 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 there's a lot of things that drive towards decision paralysis, but it's the, and you're seeing it play out with, with, with governments, with government departments, particularly with large private sector firms where um, no one is wanting to make a decision or, or no one has been empowered to make the decision and there's not enough information or they feel that they haven't got enough information, so they just keep driving deeper and deeper and deeper. What are the facts? Get us the info. Give us this. What's the risk? What's the benefit? And so you reach this point where the decision hasn't gone ahead, um, and therefore things just stall, um, and, and things take a little bit longer. So, so that's probably the one thing I don't miss the most. You're probably also able to get closer to why the why a lot more. I know that we've spoken about how at the corporate, certainly the IT departments um, are, are sometimes um, kept away from the actual why of why they're doing things and they're just given the what and how they've, they've, they've been instructed to carry, carry them out. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm just going to apologise. If anyone can hear a dog barking in the background, that, that's not my daughter wailing about her teeth. We do have a dog as well. Some of these, the couriers came out the drive or something. Um, but yes, c- coming back to the why, I think that that's really important for, for any organisation is to understand why they're doing things, You know what the problem is they're trying to solve, um, why they offer services to, to clients and, and why they do things in certain ways. Um, you know, Simon Sinek's... Um, uh, TED Talk, which I think is one of the most watched TED Talks in history, um, and his books start with why I go into this in a lot of detail. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So you have to understand, I think, as a business, why you're doing things. Um, and, and this is a conversation I have with a lot of uh, a lot of my clients, you know, why do you need a CRM? Why do you need to um, automate that process? Why do you think technology is going to solve this problem? And, and what is the problem in the first place? And we can get down to that because one of the things that I um, – one of my values that I hold on to is that technology is not the answer every time um, and, and that technology is not a solution. If anyone's heard me talking before or seen some of the blogging I've done, um, they'll have come across the, the, the soundbite that I use a lot, that, that technology is not the solution. It's the tool that enables a solution to occur. 
Um, so for me, any businesses should be going going into a transactional relationship with technology, looking at it as exactly that is what's this going to deliver for me, and why do I need it? Um, instead of just falling for that sales pitch of uh, increased customer engagement, um, reduce churn, whatever, it's actually what's the problem you've got? Because if your customers are already highly engaged and they love you and they're not leaving you, how is bringing in a new CRM going to make that any better? Definitely, definitely. I, as you know, I used to. Um, sell a, a voice of customer platform and that was very much it was selling this would be your panacea to customer experience you get yourself a voice of customer program you are now listening to what your customers are saying about you and you will now have a fully formed cx strategy um, same thing happens with some customer journey mapping it's like we're going to create the most beautiful customer journey map and you're going to end up with this wonderful tool and then you'll understand what you're doing but it should be seen as a tool for the outcome of engaging more with the customers with 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 um, and 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 um part of part of a system that can deliver that as opposed to well you we talked before i wrote i wrote down earlier it seems to me that you and I, well i kind of know this you agree with me that staying in your lane can often be an incredibly i think there's a that let me go back we are certainly i feel in new zealand we are encouraged to stay in our lane and you know focus on what what we uh, are are employed at and not look outside and cause trouble with other areas so systems thinking can often be inhibited with that kind of approach and i i, I know with with what you're doing it's it's really there must there must be some people that you're working with that that see you stepping way out of where your traditional lane may have been Oh, definitely, and and that comes from sometimes it's an, a lack of understanding of what or, or a misalignment, better than lack of understanding, but a misalignment of the expectations of what technology um, is and can do. Uh, and and I've had a few people um, comments going, oh, you know, technology consultant, uh, how can you tell me how to run my business better? It's like, well, because I can show you how technology will enable that to happen. Um, I'm not going. To, I'm not going to tell you how to run your business differently, or, or I'm not coming in as a business coach. I'm a tech coach, and we're going to we're going to align that. So, it's it's for what I think drives that for a lot of people is the perception. Hollywood doesn't help um, this one. Um, the perception that people in technology uh, are a jack of all trades, and and one minute they can be uh, hacking through the Pentagon firewall, um, and the next minute they can be, they can be standing up the next Uber, and then then three days later they're off and they're. Um, they're running a business from from the middle of Wall Street or wherever you know. Technology, uh, the way I've talked to people recently about this, the the perception of technologists are that they are a Swiss Army knife that can do everything. The reality is that they're more of a bread and butter knife um, that where they'll do one or two things really really well. And if you look at um, software developers, there's some incredibly smart people out there that can code. Uh, amazing pro- uh, products and solve problems in, through writing code, but they're not network engineers, so they're not going to be able to set up the network for you. They're not going to be able to secure things in the right way. And and that's where, for, for me, with technology, is, is a lot of um, business leaders need to start to, to focus on that and say, look, we need the people that are going to solve the problems as opposed to a person that we're going to throw all of our problems at. I've seen, I've seen with this with this crazy year that we're living through. I've, that to me, there's got quite some parallels with people starting to really focus on output as opposed to activity. 
you know, as we've as more people have worked from home, mm. um, they've been able to focus on what the problem is and what they're doing to solve it, mm-hmm. as opposed to how long is this person at their desk, how much work are they actually putting in. Um, I think it's probably given us all a lot more opportunity to sit back and think at times as well, because we're now focused on, as you said before, the problem as opposed to the problem is trying to solve the problem as a pro- as opposed to I think sometimes the problem can be being seen to be solving the problem, certainly in the, cor- certainly in the corporate world, you know, and, and that goes down at every level, even to the, you know, the people, it was just crazy, the people that would stay till eight on, you know, till eight o'clock at night would be seen to be the best workers. But it would always seem to me that they were potentially the ones that were, struggling struggling to keep up if they haven't put an extra three hours at the end so i think there's parallels across the business world with that that we we need to focus on the output not the uh, the activity definitely output um outcomes uh and, and not activity you're absolutely right it's it's one i've talked about um and i've talked about this with, with a recruiter on my podcast biz bites um that you see job interview or job adverts coming out for, for people in roles, you know, must have seven years experience of X, um, must must have uh, this amount of knowledge. And, and it's been caught out a few times. I think Kubernetes is the one that's that's used a few times in, in humorous examples. Must have, I, I'm, I'm making the numbers up here, but it's, it's not far off, but must have seven years experience in Kubernetes. Now, Kubernetes is a technology that is five years old. Uh, yeah, it might be a little bit older, but it's, it's, it, you can't be hiring people that have more experience than the tool has in, in, in terms of its life. Um, the other one I look at and say, look, just because you've got seven years experience as a software developer doesn't actually make you a good software developer. It just means you've been able to stay in a job for seven years. Um, and, and, and that's what I think we need to start looking at is, is not how long people have been doing things, but absolutely, as you say, the output, the outcomes that they deliver and, and the level of skills they have and, and measuring them on what they can do, not how long they've been doing it for. I'm glad you're using the word outcomes because it's a word that I think I overuse. Um, it's a bit perfectly <laughs> honest at the moment. Um, I want to go back to you as a customer. You're a massive, uh, you're a massive rugby fan. Mm. Um, what a year to be a, a consumer of rugby in um, New Zealand, uh, an unprecedented year. What, how, do you, how do you feel as a customer you've been, I mean, one of the lucky customers being a New Zealand customer because of us actually being able to get back to organised sport quickly. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, North and South game last weekend. Um, there's been some interesting moves by the New Zealand Rugby Union. So my question to you is how have they been doing to provide to to provide you with more successful customer outcomes as a as a rugby fan. You see, and, and, and that's interesting on that one that you say that because I I go back far enough I can remember days day games two thirty kickoff at Athletic Park in Wellington um, when that, when Athletic Park existed it, it was replaced twenty years ago by the stadium um, on the waterfront there but but two thirty kickoff and and we go down you know families would be there and enjoy it you'd, you'd have a, a lovely sunny day um, be big family atmosphere I remember Eden Park being sold out for for. Um, some of the games that were just Auckland playing whoever. Uh, and, and I can remember the All Blacks being part of the, the National Provincial Championship in New Zealand as well. And then Super Rugby came in and eventually the All Blacks slowly got phased out from that that, that provincial layer. Um, 
and for me, I started to lose a bit of interest in there, but because it became there's just so much rugby. You know, you had Super Rugby, you had Club Rugby, you had Provincial Rugby, you got the All Blacks, so it was really hard to keep up. Uh, and they were moving away from the two thirty kickoffs. We didn't get so many afternoon games. Seven thirty kickoffs became the normal Friday night, Saturday night, seven thirty, maybe a five thirty if you were trying to get two games on a Saturday. But it was everything was tailored around those TV times. And then, thanks to COVID, Super Rugby Aotearoa kicked off, and we started seeing Sunday games again, two thirty games. Um, early on when the Hurricanes played the Blues in, in the first round of Super Rugby Aotearoa, we took our son to Eden Park for his first, second live rugby match. Um, and we were home by 7 o'clock, you know, we were home by bedtime. And and so it was, it was, it was really good to see that. And then coming through um, the rugby unions now talking about, oh, maybe we should be looking at this a bit more. You know, they started to realise that people actually go to the game when, when, when it, the time suits. Um, so there's a big part of that. And, and what I'm really excited about, I think I mentioned before, um, NPC, the National Provincial Championship, or the Mitre 10 Cup in New Zealand, we've got the All Blacks back in it. So um, Wellington's going to have a pretty solid team this year. Auckland's got some solid players. Canterbury, the teams have got their good players back. And, and it's just going to add that extra layer in. Um, but if I turn that around, what frustrates the hell out of me is I – we don't subscribe to Sky, Sky Sports, which is the only way to watch rugby in New Zealand. Um, and as, as a customer, the reason I don't is because to get to Sky Sports, you have to buy the basic Sky package, and it costs about 80 bucks a month to get sports. And they throw everything else in. Now, okay, I watch basketball and I watch cricket. Um, and what I'd like to be able to do with Sky, and, and it's possible in a consumable world, is actually say, no, I just want that sport and that sport. Um, and and paid for those rather than pay eighty dollars for everything and end up with uh, twenty two hours of the week that I'm not watching TV uh, and then for, for the two hours that I do watch the rugby. So I think companies like Sky have got a long way to go in the customer experience to actually figure out how to to give people what they want rather than stick to an, an outdated business model. Yeah, and also also um, sticking to a single-minded business model as well, like a subscription-only model seems to be where all media are going. It's uh, the, the, mm. the mm. we were the third podcast that we recorded was with a, a lovely guy called Carl Sice from um, Alcatel Lucent. He's a country manager for ANZ, and um, he was saying that Gartner, one of his one of his most um, one of his favourite customer experiences at the moment or what he's seen a, a technology in a, a company change their business model rapidly was Gartner who instead of charging you you know what they used to do with four hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for um, access to everything it was literally well, we're not going to charge you anything until you use something that you found within our library useful for mm. your business and it's revolutionized how he's mm. using Gartner um Media companies need to be looking at, at that as well. Although I would argue with a lot of media companies, and you, you've got some experience with media companies. We had a we had a bit of an adventure with one ourselves a couple of uh, a year about a year ago, which we won't go into. <clears throat> but I don't know. I certainly I certainly think that that a lot of media companies don't really see their 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 audience as the customers. They see the advertisers as the customers. Correct. They, the, the advertiser is the one that pays the bill. And that's probably that traditional media company view. I think the, the streaming services are a bit different, obviously, that they you're paying to consume from them. But you're right, the, the traditional media companies, whether it be um, 
TVNZ, looking at a New Zealand context, TVNZ, MediaWorks, uh, NZME, they just see the advertiser. That's the one that pays the bill and everything else is just um, whatever's going to get the most revenue through the door for them. Um, but what I find interesting with the streaming model as well, and there's, there's an there was an opportunity, I think the horses bolted on this one, and I was talking with a good friend of mine, Grant, Grant Sanderson, recently on this, where if you like streaming, you can end up, or if you like watching content, you can end up at this point where you're paying, in, in New Zealand, you're paying for Amazon Prime, um, Neon, Netflix, Disney+. Plus. We may have Hulu here, I'm not sure. Um, but you've got four or five different, avenues that you can be getting content from and and what grant and i kind of landed on and this was over a few whiskeys so um was this on your podcast uh, not on the podcast no this was was on the couch um what what we landed on was the ability for for like an uber like model for streaming where you've got someone in the middle that just says great you like watching disney cartoons or you like watching movies or you like watching um using superhero as an example so you like watching superheroes um, superhero movies so here's all the marvel here's all the dc you're just paying for one lot we're bringing it in from everywhere and, and you're getting to watch it when you want to um we felt that there's, there's that, that great opportunity for someone to orchestrate in the middle rather than do the well we own all the content and if you want it you have to pay us directly yeah that is it that's an interesting business model what other what other what other business models do you think are worth um, New Zealand media specifically kind of exploring? Do you think the subscription models are are working in little old New Zealand when many, much of the content isn't necessarily um, perceived to be unique? Mm. Um. And I know that there's a lot of unique information, but uh, uh, unique journalism behind some of the paywalls. I'm not saying that, but I'm just think, thinking more from the perception of people that haven't been behind those paywalls. I'm not sure whether there's a perception of value there with a, with, from a lot of people. Correct, correct. Um, is it enough to get me to pay to, to watch it? And, and I guess if we come back to the sports element on this one, um, and, and I'll touch on Australian basketball, uh, certainly. They may have changed in the last year or two, um, but certainly a few years ago it was a bit different where um, Australian basketball had a, a full app where you could consume a lot of content for the teams you followed um, as long as you were in Australia. Uh, for the New Zealanders who follow the New Zealand Breakers, you couldn't consume much of that content because Sky owned the rights to it. Um so they weren't going to allow it to go out for free. They wanted people to go and buy their package. Uh, and, and I wonder if there's that opportunity in there that, again, how much of the stuff is Sky wrapped up behind a paywall, for want of a better word, uh, when you could give the control back to, to the national body to let them uh, showcase and tell their stories in the right way. Now, obviously, revenue is the big problem. How do you how do you generate enough money to cover that um, and, and, and do it well? But there's got to be opportunities to think of it differently rather than, again, Sky locking it all behind a paywall um, and and not allowing you to do things. Were you a – I'm assuming sometime in the past you would have been a Sky subscriber? Yeah, absolutely. We um, When did we get rid of Sky? Probably when our first son was born, we got rid of our full-size Sky subscription. Um, and at the time they had their fan pass, which was a fantastic model for, for a consumer because it gave you the ability to buy sports for 24 hours, seven days, or a month. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so, you know. The, the, the rugby game's on um, Friday night. The All Blacks playing Saturday night. Great. 24 hours, you get fan pass. Um, there's something on, let's say it's Tour de France, where you want to watch seven days' worth of content. You can buy the week. You, you buy the month. 
and then they scrapped that. And when they scrapped that, we we jumped away because we were using FanPass, but they got rid of that and they 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 focused on their streaming model, which was great. Um, but they changed their subscription model. If you wanted to if you wanted to consume, you had to subscribe to Sky um, and get everything rather than just say I just want that day. Um, and you know, for me. Pay-per-view is, has been around for a while. We've had pay-per-view boxing matches. Let, let's bring in pay, pay-per-view rugby. Band. They, they use it when it suits them, don't they? When there's a big opportunity for a big purse, then all of a sudden pay-per-view is a technological imperative. Correct. We can make this work. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and and yet we could be doing it with so much more as well. Where, um, And again, coming down to the subscription model, I just want to watch basketball, rugby, and cricket. So give me basketball, rugby, and cricket. Um, probably would add netball to that. Um, but just give me that. And when it's the Olympics, I'll, I'll during an Olympics uh, fortnight, I will grow my consumption um, based around that and then drop it back once the Olympics is over. But don't force me into a package where I have to sign up for 12 months and pay um, a fixed fee every month. For a lot of stuff you don't want as well, for, for the majority of stuff that you've, you've got no need Correct. for. Before I go on to what I was going to talk to you about, um, what what came up in the conversation there was um, voice of customer with with as a rugby fan, as a as a um, a cricket fan, as a basketball fan, as a customer or an ex customer of Sky. Has any of those um, organisations or organisations involved ever reached out to you to kind of understand? You know, do you see them having any kind of meaningful voice of customer? program that allows them to understand what their fans are, are asking. For instance, I, I certainly know that since meeting Kiwi rugby fans in London back in 99, when um, I was introduced to the Canterbury Crusaders, which unfortunately, I know you, that you hate that, I'm a, I'm a Crusader fan. Um, but they've always said, I think, I think from, for at least 21 years, if NZ Rugby was listening to rugby fans, they would have known that everybody was missing afternoon rugby. Mm. Um, no, I, I, I don't necessarily. And I was thinking about this on Sunday after the um, North-South game, after watching that. You know, first time in how many years that we've played um, a good rivalry like that. Uh, I don't recall the time when I've been surveyed by New Zealand rugby as, as a fan. Um, I've certainly had surveyed. Um, or Eden Park. I certainly had surveys as a coach. Um, uh, I've had surveys back when I was a player, going back many years, um, where that experience was there. And, and you're right about Eden Park as well. Um, it's probably, you just reminded me of something we, we talked about. It came on the ra- on, on TV yesterday. There was an ad for the Eden Park experience where they've got a part of it. You walk across the roof of the main stand and you're harnessed on and and. Uh, my wife turned to me and said, do you think you'd ever do that? And I said, look, I'd love to do a tour of Eden Park, but I don't know why I want to walk on the roof. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I just can't see a, a need to, to, to walk on the roof. But the other one that got me with um, the North-South game was the, the they revealed last week TJ Piranara was starting uh, for the North Island um, and Aaron Smith was on the bench. Now, in, in most play, if, if most people picked their team, Aaron Smith's the number one halfback in the country, and TJ Piranara is the the second stringer. Um, so, so suddenly you've you've reversed it. Why have you got one guy starting, the other one not? And the coach has been, oh, this has been in the pipeline for a while. TJ hasn't had as much game time as Aaron, so he's getting the game time. And straight away, to me, it was like, well, so this is not about 
this is not about the fans. It's not about giving us a little and high quality of rugby. This is just about making sure your players get the game time they need, and that's fine. Um, uh, that's absolutely fine because they need that game time. But that suggests that they're looking at it from the wrong end of the spectrum because they could have turned that into. And unfortunately, with COVID and and we couldn't have a crowd there, um, that missed out. But they could have turned that into such a different customer experience and fan experience if they they really got behind yeah, it. Um, it. It wasn't. It was it was positioned to be the, about the pride of the South Island versus the North Island, and yet really, I think most people and I watched it with a group of guys, and um, I was listening to their their insight, um, trying to add occasionally um, for for a bit, um, <clears throat> but they were saying that you know there were there were even selections. How did how's that guy playing for the North Island? How's that guy playing for the South Island? And is this really just? Uh, a, a dress up, you know, an all black trial. That's really what, that's really what it was. And I think most fans that I spoke to kind of got that jarring moment of realization that that's probably what this was all about, as opposed to, hey, this is really good for our COVID nineteen morale knocked country. Let's let's put a, a festival of rugby on. Correct, correct. And and for a game that's got so much history behind it, you know, there, there was an opportunity there to, and, and I appreciate there was some doubt going into the last two weeks as to whether it was going to be played. Um, but there was there was the opportunity to start talking about the history behind it. That goes back, that game's been played since the 1920s or even earlier. Um, there's been some phenomenal players that have probably gone through there and, and never played for the All Blacks, but they've earned the right to represent their island of, um, of origin, if you like. Uh and I take a particular interest in this because my granddad played for the South Island team. He, played, he was the halfback in 1936 or 37. Um, really? Yeah. What was his name? Uh, well, granddad. <laughs> no, his name, um, Larry McMahon. You, you wouldn't... Um, I think it's worthwhile just taking a pause in the podcast to celebrate, you know, you having an all-black in the family. People people listening from outside of New Zealand thinks that everybody's got an all-black in the family. So, that, you know, it's <laughs> It wasn't an All Black. South Island was the highest he ever got to. I think he played for Marlborough um, for a number of years as well, um, but, but certainly never got not, never got All Black honours. But um, his, his claim to fame. There's the myth that we were talking about. There's the myth. His, his, his claim to fame, other than playing for the South Island, um, and I'd have to get the um, article off my brother to show it. But his claim to fame was he was one of the he played in the very first team. That flew across the south, uh, across the Cook Strait to play a game of rugby. Um, so up until that point, they always called boat across. So his team was the first one to fly. So, so, so there's that. But what I was looking at was over over the hundred plus years of inter island rugby in New Zealand. There's been there's probably a lot of stories about like that where you've got people who, um, you know, their pinnacle may have been that match and we could have been using technology to actually start to engage it and pull out the history and pull out the stories and um, and, and maybe talk about that guy who I think, they, well, Ian Kirkpatrick was one who captained both the North and the South Island teams through his playing career. You know, tell us a little bit about how the, how the, how the hell did that happen? Why are you, how are you playing for two teams? Um, tell us about the guy who, who represented the South Island for 15 years in a row. Probably not fifteen. Let's be honest, but um, you know, five or six years in a row, and never got an All Black cap. Um, and and what it was that that he was good enough to be there, but not there. So I, I felt they missed that fan engagement perspective, and it just became another game of rugby. That that's a really good idea. I hope some people from the rugby union are listening. I have got a few contacts on LinkedIn. We were having discussions uh, amongst ourselves at Halftime Orange and um, Hilltop Media um, when. 
lockdown two kind of happened and um, rugby was put on hold again. And we were trying to come up with different ways that we could turn it into something that was safe but special, like maybe, you know, uh, 100 fans got to get, get to social distance in a massive <laughs> stadium and watch it, you know, with uh, in one of those Tui chairs, um, the <laughs> you could have got Uber involved yeah. um, who weren't making any money but could potentially have been paid to get people to the stadium in time at the right time so that it could all be managed. Like, would there have been... Yeah, I've always find it fascinating to... I always find it fascinating to explore ways in which... Um, Rugby fans can be um, served better because I do think that we're we're probably not. Well, I th- maybe that's also because we all used to be rugby players. Like we all, you and I remember the amateur games, and I certainly played a little bit yeah. of amateur um, men's rugby back in the UK. Um, not to, I think I'd have been uh, scared witless um, playing against uh, some of the size beasts that um, uh, there are in the, in the in the New Zealand school game from from you know what we see on the TV here. Um, but we we kind of feel like we're one of them because we were amateur rugby players, or a lot of us were amateur rugby players. Um, how much? How much do you think that they've they've forgotten that at the upper echelons that we all used to be part of one big playing team? I think yes, I, I think that's that's a big part of it. Um, again, in New Zealand, I can remember going to the provincial games where the kids, the the, the junior kids, would play at half time or. or um, play beforehand, you'd have a, a curtain raiser. So you'd, you'd end up with two games. The curtain raiser was always like the under-21s or the um, maybe a couple of local club games coming together, but they were the warm-up match before the the big main event. So there was a little bit of fan experience. Um, there was a lot that sort of went on around the stadium that we started to fade away from um, to, you know, they've, they've put some quirks in there. If you go to Eden Park, you've got the glamping uh, yurts that you can watch rugby from and, and sleep at Eden Park from. It's a gimmick. Okay, two two teams, four people. Um, a, a gimmick. They've got uh, those the couches, like you say, the the, the two armchairs or the spates couch or whatever, where they can they can sit and. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, but what about bringing all the all that grassroots stuff back into it and sort of acknowledging it um, and, and and using it as I a big part? Um, worth a, a little bit of um, positivity towards Auckland Rugby, though, because they have started doing that. Like for many years, the conversations that used to take place with me and my mates were, why are they not giving tickets that are unsold to the local schools? And they have started to do that. So kudos to 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 Eden Park for starting to hopefully change that mindset. Um, Absolutely, and, and and just on that, there was one interesting one I, I noticed last year where, um, oh, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because you, you can't win either way, but we went to, I took my son to a Wellington versus Auckland game at Edom Hark, um, and they'd only opened up one side, side of the ground, so that was fine, but the side they opened us on was the side that had the shade. It had the sun behind us, and there's a giant concrete structure between us and the sun, so we were in the shade and the cold for the entire game. The other side was vast and beautiful sunlight, um, which there's nothing better than sitting outside on a on a Sunday afternoon watching a game of rugby in the sun. The the, the flip side of that is you'd then be looking into the sun for the whole day. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the uh, the Gary Owens would be so enjoyable. <laughs> exactly, it, it was that. I was looking at it going, why why aren't we over there? Why aren't we allowed to just be there? Why are you forcing us into the cold? So while, while um, Auckland Rugby, you're right, they're doing a lot of good things and, and, and helping. There's still some other things that we probably just need to 
uh, start surveying the fans. What what do you want? What what's going to work for you? Um, and like I say, technology can work for that. You know, if if you've got an app, um, you're in Eden Park, or you're 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 a member of an Auckland fan club, or whatever. Uh, if you happen to be in Eden Park, then put a push notification out. Hey, take a th- quick three minute survey at half time, um, and go in the draw to win tickets to the next game or or whatever. Um, and tell us how we can improve your experience. There's a there's a brilliant product that's been widely used in Australian sports. It's just coming into New Zealand. It's uh, it's been brought in by Hilltop Media actually, Chris McFarlane. But shout out to him. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Bench Vote, and what it allows what uh, the the NRL have been using it to survey fans at halftime during the game who their favourite players are. You know who they think is going to um, score mm-hmm. the first try. So they've got this very interactive app that allows them to go back and forth and uh, deliver sponsored content and um, and engage with them during during downtimes. Um, Chris is trying, Chris is, uh, is introducing that into New Zealand. And there, I, I feel that it would be a, a, a really strong product for any organisation that currently might not have a voice of customer program um, and can bring some interactivity. I like the idea of an engaging, uh, an engaging voice of customer program. I think that's quite revolutionary when you look at some voice of customer programs out there. They they kind of they're dry and boring and they kind of disengage with you. Um yeah. What's you've you've been involved in that space with BNZ as you were you were saying. What do you think the the if if someone now in that space is looking at a voice of customer platform, what are the three questions they should be asking themselves? Um what what are the what are the whys that they should be passing on to their their IT team, so that they 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 produce they 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 choose the right product, they or they develop the right product. Yeah, great question. Um, so I think the three things they're looking at is, is what is it they're trying to find out? Well, what is it they're trying to improve? Um, this probably comes down to it. You know, it's uh, we know of MPS, and I think you and I have talked about the yes, we have issues with MPS over the over the years. Um, but, what is it they're trying to change? So what are they going to use this information for to, to change and influence within the business? That, that's probably the big one they need to do. Um, how do they want to gather it uh, is another one. So technology, as I said, is, is a solution – or sorry, is a, is a tool that can enable that gathering to happen. Um, but is it the right tool? Um, is the market they're trying to get to actually better than an anonymous um, piece of paper or, or a survey? You know, people in white coats with clipboards standing there asking questions may still be the right way to go. Um, so, so how do they want to go about it? And then the last one is what are the questions they want to ask? And, the, and this is one of the ones that I always found with those um, happy or not survey boxes that were out there. Uh, so for anyone who's not familiar with them, they're a, a, a kiosk stand that had five buttons um, called Happy or Not. The five buttons represented different states through smiley faces. You had um, one being a grumpy face and five being a happy face. Um, and that, you see them at the airport still? Yep, still at the airport. I think they're in the some of them are in the, in the toilets at the airport. You know, How was your experience today? How would you rate us? You know, and you're encouraged to tap one of those buttons. No context, though. Exactly. Um, yeah, well, I'm, very, I'm very happy with the way I'm feeling today. Oh, oh, you mean about you guys? What about you guys? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I look. I'm I'm about to catch a flight to 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 Wellington to have a great weekend away with the family. But your toilets were clean, so that's a four. <laughs> um, it's 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 that context that goes into it, and and I think that's the big one. What what actually are you going to ask? Because to me, those I, I don't bother pushing those buttons. Um, 
because they don't they're not going to give a, an accurate answer they're just going to give an emotional response in the moment yeah no no three good three good things to think about hey before i let you go um two fledgling podcasters you're a little bit further along the journey than i am i mean this is my fifth recording so thanks so much for coming on the show how are your how, how's biz bites going a bit of a shout out to your podcast i'm inviting all the listeners to subscribe to that no doubt yeah, thank you. Um, so BizBytes, uh, which is my podcast, um, it's a technology-themed business podcast, so that's quite broad. We've, we've I've got, um, as of today, I've got 26 episodes live. Um, I've got a full episode schedule right up until New Year as well. So I've got a whole, uh, I've got a new episode every week up until the 15th of December, and then I'm starting to plan out next year. So it's it's going really well. We've had some fascinating conversations in there. I, I listened to, to one of yours the other day on... Um, uh, flying cars, or um, oh, with Clem Newton Brown, yeah, that was a, what a what a what a subject to kick off the first episode with. I was pretty pleased with that. I know, absolutely, absolutely. So, and and I've had um, similar crossovers there where we, we've I've talked with uh, with Michael, and, and I'll have to come back to Michael's surname, um, but around electronic boats, electric ferries. Um, yeah, so some of the stuff that we're covering in the electric fairies, digital transformation, change management, recruitment, um, we've got so much going on in there. Uh, so and, and it's, it's a really good journey to be on as well. I think um, I'm having a lot of fun doing the podcasting. So, so BizBytes, if anyone's keen to check it out, uh, www.bizbytes.co.nz is the full list of episodes, plus it's in most uh, mainstream podcast channels. I believe well. you've got a customer experience advocate booked in at some point over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think in, in a fortnight there's, there's, <laughs> there's some guy from a fruit company coming on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's funny, I, I, I really, I was almost going to push you while you were talking about um, child, uh, children's rugby games about, you know, do you remember the halftime oranges um, during those things? So, uh, But I won't, I won't. Well, I already did. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, look, I, I catch my... I coach my son's rugby team at the moment, um, and the halftime oranges are still very much a thing in kids' rugby. So uh, yeah. it's good to see. So they should be. Mm-hmm. So we can, all, we can all do with a halftime orange, I believe. Um, as you're so far down your journey, and it's going so well, and I've listened to a couple already um, in between the, the business of trying to launch this this podcast. Um, what are the three things you've, you've started this new community on LinkedIn? in uh, New Zealand for New Zealand podcasters, which I'm really delighted to be a part of, um, where we can kind of share the adventure um, with those interested in producing their own podcast. For those that are thinking about taking that jump off the cliff um, and seeing um, how they're going to fly, what are the three tips you'd pass on um, about starting your own podcast that you wish you'd have known on that the, the yeah. week beforehand? <laughs> um. Oh, it's probably the, the tip that I'd go through, which is what I did with mine, is, is, is get a good plan going. So I um, sat down and used the business model canvas template to plan out what my podcast was going to be and, and how BizBytes was going to be. I got some feedback from a few people first, um, helped shape the the name and, and the branding. I got, got a lot of stuff done before I launched. Uh, and I've made that business model canvas template available for free on the website as well. So if you go to bizbytes.co.nz and scroll down, there's one for free. Um I do ask for an email address, but it's not to start spamming people. It's just so that I can track who's downloading it and, and follow up with them later. Um, so take the time, 
take the time to plan it, talk to people. Uh, you mentioned the New Zealand Podcasters group. Um, anyone's welcome to join that. It's not just people who have a podcast. It's people who like listening to them too. Um, uh, we, we just welcoming anyone to come in. And, and it's around just building a community of podcasters, you know, between you, me, we've got um, Hilary Walton in there who has her own podcast as well, the Digital Culture initiative dci um there, there's several us, us in there that, that do do podcasts so so that's probably my second tip is, is start talking to people it's, it's 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 such a great community and so far i've not met someone who doesn't want to share their experience and 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 building up a podcast um and then my third one is, is just get on and do it just 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 put a stake in the ground make it happen start start talking to people getting guests um I'm surprised every time someone agrees to be a guest that they do. Um, and then I find out that the surprise is equally that I've, I've had a few people who have never been on a podcast and they were appreciated that I'd approach them. Um, you know, uh, Nori Ape, who I talked to about cultural diversity and technology, um, it was her first time on a podcast and she was just stoked that I was going to her um, saying, hey, look, I want to get the perspective of um, from she's Samoan from 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 Pacifica uh, around how we can help increase diversity in the technology industry and and she was she was she was um, really happy to appear and and that's what I think most people are if you come to them and say hey look I want to talk to you and I want to record you and I want to put you on a podcast it's easy to find a guest because because anyone's going to want to talk yeah it's it certainly seems to open up a lot of doors um, I mean who doesn't want to have a good conversation about things really um, I. I'm really pleased. I'm really happy that we managed to get this uh, conversation going. Um, I'm really pleased that we're both now podcasting. So thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm wishing you all the luck. Before I let you go, what else is there? Anything else that you'd like our listeners to do in an ideal world? You know, how how do they reach out to you? What should they be reaching out to you about? Yeah. Yeah, look, um, so if they want to reach out again, uh, LinkedIn, um, I'm fairly active on there. I, I have some thresholds. I remember Clem saying he had a very low barrier to accepting uh, connections on LinkedIn. <laughs> Mine's a little bit higher. Um, but I'm, I'm open to, to connecting with, with anyone there. Or, or again, through BizBytes, there's a connection, there's a contact me form. And if anyone's wanting to be, appear as a guest or if there's something they want to hear about, uh, then then just jump on and, and send it through. Um, the second piece that I'd, I'd also say is alongside the podcast, I'm doing some very short videos where I'm using uh, different scenarios to explain technology concepts. Um, so I, I've used the, the Auckland Harbour Bridge to talk about um, forward planning and forward thinking. I've used, uh, I've got one coming up with a old school uh, Hickory Golf Club to show the, the advances in technology and golf and, and why you can't just sit with the old payroll system that you used 20 years ago. Um, so, so check that out, and, and if anyone's got thoughts on one they want to hear about more about, then then Great. send it through. If, if the um, we'll put some of those links in the show notes as well, so that people can access them nice and quickly. Um, once again, hey, thanks so much, mate. It's been so good talking to you, um, and uh, yeah, likewise, thanks for likewise. providing you know all the insight above my ramble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Thanks, thanks, Brenton. It's been great to be no on worries. board. We'll catch up soon. Take care. Cool. Thanks. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it interesting. Um, as a further sign of gratitude, we'd like to pass on a 30% discount to all listeners um, on the HTO Educate Learning Management System. We, uh, we've, 
We've launched it recently um, with a base level of um, courses that really focus on helping companies get through this really tough year, um, looking at mental health management, looking at um, managing virtual teams, setting up home offices. There's a, a, a very strong focus on health and safety as well, because we certainly believe that at the moment your customers, the very base level of customer service that they're expecting is to be safe when they're doing business with you. Um, so, so please have a look um, at the website, see whether it's something that could be of value to you and your teams in a year where it's very difficult to, to find time to train and to refresh skills. Um, and we'll put the we'll put the address in the notes um, to this episode, um, along with the, the discount code, which is HTO Podcast. 30. But yeah, that will be in the notes. So once again, thank you. And I look forward to talking with you on the next podcast.